welcome to the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast, brought to you by Amoria Bond. In each episode, Amoria Bond will interview a prominent leader from across their specialist STEM sectors to discuss their personal experiences of progression and share invaluable insights and inspiring anecdotes of what progression means to them. This is Progressing Lives Everywhere. Hello, welcome to the Amore Bond Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast. My name is Arsalam Akbar and I'm a senior consultant at Amore Bond. On today's episode, I'm joined by Madeline Smith and I'm really excited to introduce her to you all. So Madeline joined EV Box Group as Chief Information Officer in August 2020. And EV Box are on a mission to a zero emission world driven by purpose and focused on high impact output. Madeline is extremely tech-savvy with strong outsourcing and crisis management experience. She's also a chartered accountant. She really thrives in environments where there is a mandate to do things differently and teams are empowered to move fast. She has run her own company with two partners building software apps over the last couple of years, and she also holds a couple of non-executive directorships in the financial services sector, each with the portfolio of technology and digitalization. Madeline really believes in diversity in all its forms and mentors startups and women encouraging others in their growth. When Madeline is not working, she can usually be found reading or singing. Madeline, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Arsalan. It's my pleasure to be here with you this morning. Yeah, so there's a lot of ground for us to cover, Madeline. But first, I'd really love to know what progression means to you personally and who has inspired your own progression. Progression for me means leaving something behind to create space for something new. And I think that uh, if I look back to my roots in South Africa, there are two role models came to my mind when thinking of this. So I have uh, two peers that are roughly the same age as me, and they are Shalise Tron and Elon Musk. And both of those individuals left South Africa around the same time I did and, and went to the U.S. to discover their fortune. And what, I, what really inspires me about each of them is that each of them did things that other people thought were impossible and where the odds were against them. So they left everything behind. Charlize Chan went to the U.S. She did not have a, a U.S. accent. She wanted to be an actress, a typical waitress in Hollywood story. And what people don't realize is she really put in the work. She locked herself up in a room for eight weeks and repeated every sentence that she heard on commercials on television to sharpen up her U.S. accent. And what I appreciate of Elon Musk is not only did he set out to change payments, he then said, well, let's get rid of everything you know, that pollutes our planet in, in terms of transport. And uh, let's envision a future where electrical vehicles will make a real difference in the world. And then, you know, not knowing anything about rockets, started a company to put people on Mars and, you know, outperforming NASA massively in terms of rethinking and using outside-in knowledge. So great names, but what inspires me is the, the willingness to leave something familiar behind and I guess those people with the audacity to say that they will change the world are the ones who do in the end. So they are, for me, they are really inspiring in their own ways. Beautiful quote. I love that one as well. So I'm really interested in how you progressed your own life 
from the moment you left South Africa. Yeah, so that's uh, also a very interesting story. I, I left South Africa. Uh, I had the privilege to live in South Africa during a peaceful transition with Nelson Mandela, which was a very inspiring and interesting time in itself. Uh, I left South Africa and went to London because I wanted to travel and I also wanted to train as an accountant. And at that point, there was very limited job opportunity for white people in South Africa. So I left. I managed to get myself into a trainee contract as an accountant in London. From the one thing came the next. I, I got a British passport. But I also said to my senior manager, I would rather put pins in my eyeballs than do another audit. This is not my thing. I realized very early on that accountancy was about looking in the rearview mirror. And my life purpose is definitely to look forward towards new technologies and new things. And at that point, Pricewaterhouse and Coopers and Librand merged. Uh, and they had a new service called business process outsourcing. Uh, so my manager said, why don't you go try that? That's a whole new thing. I don't even know what it is. It's this new thing called outsourcing. Maybe you'll like that. And that was a true hit. So at that time, outsourcing was comprised, moving finance processes offshore and deploying new IT systems around that. And that fascinated me, this interplay between people and systems and efficiency. So that for me was a real moment of growth. And the more I got stuck into the IT systems, the more I felt at home and the more I learned about them. So I got better at uh, deploying new systems, running large scale programs. And in that way, my career evolved quite rapidly, but I did live on airplanes. So my first 12 years of my life, my working life, uh, I worked as a consultant and hardly ever stayed in London in my own apartment during the week. And I really wanted a different life. So I joined the British subsidiary of a Dutch company in London with a view to having a more settled life and maybe having a relationship or, or children. And within the shortest time, I was traveling up and down to Amsterdam every week. So I said, guys, this wasn't the deal. You better move me to Amsterdam. Uh, so after 14 years in, in the UK, I moved to Amsterdam. And each time, leaving behind something also created huge opportunities for new things. So this is a theme in my life as well. So progression is a big theme in your life. And uh, obviously, you've already achieved so much already in your career. And as someone who's worked with you in the past, I know how determined you are. So I'm really intrigued to know, since you're doing so much all at once, like how do you juggle it? <laughs> where, where does your ambition come from? What drives you? What, where do you find the energy? I, I'm, I'm so curious to, to, to know that. You know, I realized very early on in my life that there is no such thing as work-life balance. I think it's the biggest fallacy of our current time that people believe that anything that you can do well, you can find a balance in. I think that life is about making choices and making sacrifices as well. To get good at anything, you need to put in the work. You know, you don't just become a great tennis player or a great musician if you don't put in the hours. And I think it's the same for a career. But I think also, you know, make choices to do things that you are good at and things that you enjoy. Uh, so that's uh, really important to me as well. And yes, I am probably a bit of a workaholic, but I get so much energy and, and passion out of that. Also to see other people develop and grow 
and and I keep learning. So at this point in my life, I stood on uh, four boards. And that is a, a really interesting experience because I can cross-pollinate from the one environment to the other. Very different industries, very different sizes and life cycles of companies. So the one is a tiny startup, uh, the other two finance and insurance, and then of course EBBOX, which is a scale-up and a company that has grown rapidly in the last two, three years from uh, you know 80 FTE to almost 800 FTE in the space of three years. So tremendous growth. And that's, for me, I, I get so much energy out of that. Yeah, I, I get back more than I put in, I think, Arsalan. That's the easiest way to keep growing. And that's progression, right? So you, you already mentioned you, were, you worked across a range of sectors, which goes against the normal pattern of many senior executives who tend to hone in one <laughs> sector or industry. Has that been by design? And how do you think it has benefited your progression? to work in a range of sectors? I think that it's extremely beneficial. As an IT professional, it is extremely beneficial to see other industries because each industry has their own areas that they develop at different times. So for instance, in design, you see a lot of work now going on with HoloLens and augmented reality technologies. In insurance and banking, you see a lot of robotic process automation and already move more into lighter forms of artificial intelligence and predictive analytics for fraud detection, those kinds of technologies. Uh, in transport and in electric vehicles, for instance, we see a tremendous uh, growth uh, in terms of battery capacity, cost per kilowatt for batteries and charging alike. And of course, people are inventing smarter and smarter ways to balance the grid, to put solar and wind energy, which is not predictable and reliable always, uh, into the grid and augment that with, with older technologies and finding new balance in that. So for me, spending time in different environments uh, always challenges me on the best ways in which to bring this progress and technology into the environment that I'm focused on at that point. What I find extremely interesting and challenging in my role at EVBox is that almost everyone working in the company have a technology background. So basically we have hundreds of people who know IT. And for the first time in my life, I'm not the person pulling in the front. And I realize that I also shouldn't be the break, but what I should do is put up the safety rails to ensure that everything keeps moving in the right direction. So it's a bit like 10-pin bowling for children where they put up the rails so that the balls don't go in the side. Uh, so I feel like my job is that at the moment, to keep the pace, but also to give the direction. And I think that learning from the one industry into the other really helps to accelerate and to grow different parts of myself as well. Each role has their own challenge in terms of pace, in terms of people, in terms of strategy in terms of organizational speed and culture. And being able to see more than one environment at a time pushes me to grow faster. So keep the pace and giving directions. And it seems that mentoring and building teams is something you're passionate about as well. Because in preparing for today, I read in your profile, and I quote, Madeline enjoys building teams and challenging them in new ways. So. Why is mentoring and building teams so important to you? 
I think as you know, anyone who at once, at some point in their lives, very often if you ask people who are successful what happened for you, they will point to one teacher or one mentor or one person who cared about them and gave them confidence and courage to try something new or to go the full mile or to apply to that school or that course that they thought was too difficult. So I've seen in my own life and also in the lives of other people what difference that can make to the future success of people. And I think that if you live in Western Europe or the U.S. or uh, some of the developed countries in the world, you know, we all think about the 99% and the 1%. But if you own your own house, you are in the 2%, top 2% of wealth. And I think that we have an obligation to leave our planet better and to help other people grow who did not grow up with the same privilege necessarily. So there's a huge theme for me about giving back and giving what you have lots of. And sometimes that's knowledge, sometimes that's time, sometimes that is money, sometimes that is a contact person or sharing your network to open a door for someone. So I believe that if everyone gave from what they have lots of, uh, we will make our world such a better place. Beautifully said. So how has being a mentor benefited you? I tend to learn more from my mentors than I think they learned from me. I think uh, having exposure to typically younger women and seeing the struggles that they have in their careers, I'm grateful to the women who have gone before me. When I trained as an accountant, the big four firm that I was in had less than 2% female partners. And in 20 years' time, that has gone up to almost a quarter, so 25%. And we see the same trend in the boardroom. It's still not enough, but that's a huge difference in terms of role modeling compared to many, many years ago. Uh, so I take courage and I take heart from the people who come after that they have less of the same struggles. But at the same time, women who grow up now have other kinds of struggles. And we're seeing that, for instance, the COVID-19 pandemic at the moment is affecting women disproportionately to men. So in countries where schools are closed, women tend to do more childcare, do more housekeeping and, and food preparation, as well as their jobs. So it is just as important to empower men as it is to empower women. A friend of mine once said, I envisage a future where men can cry and women can get angry in public. And I think that's a good summary of what equality means to me as well. So mentoring other women opened doors and windows for me to other worlds. And I learned just as much from them and also get challenged by them. Yeah. And what have you learned about yourself from mentoring in this process? You really learn to listen. And uh, that for me is sometimes is a challenge, but really spending time to feel what the other person needs and uh, to grow empathy. And I think for me, the challenge and what, what I keep learning, and apparently I haven't learned this lesson well enough yet, uh, I keep relearning this, is that using your heart is just as important as using your head. And finding a balance between your heart and your head, I think that's where the real magic happens. So from your experience, what do you consider to be the attributes of a really great mentor besides of listening, opening your heart? I think being able to share your time and some experience, uh, challenging 
a young person challenging themselves to step up and reach for the stars, in fact. Sometimes it's just a little nudge. Sometimes they really uh, know that that is what they want, but they fear that they're not good enough. So I think a little nudge in the, and, and also sharing experience, right? So I have people in my speed dial, in my own black book that I call occasionally if I get stuck somewhere, men and women, older and younger, uh, where I think that, you know, they're, they're sort of my panel of directors of my personal life in a way. The board of advisors. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So thinking about when you've supported others to progress, is there an example that really stands out for you when you felt like, yes, I've really made a difference here? There's one person that comes to mind, actually. This is someone with a very strong technical background and and someone who was limiting himself in terms of appearance and uh, not listening to his heart. So very intellectually sharp person but someone who lost contact with feeling how other people feel. And I supported this person to develop his own emotional intelligence uh, and becoming more aware of how he is perceived in the world. And for me, the, the greatest satisfaction has been to see his career just explode and grow and rapidly improve in the last 10 years and, and realizing his own potential. So for me, that's the ultimate satisfaction to see how people achieve what they are capable of and they become able to give to the next generation and to give back in the world. I find that so satisfying. Yeah. And can you maybe tell me a little bit more about what you did to support him? So I think a big starts with holding up a mirror, right? If no one points out to us where uh, our weaknesses lie and where our blind spots are, Uh, We can't do anything about them. So I think that the value of frank feedback is really underestimated. People believe that they do someone else a favor by being, quote, unquote, nice to them. uh, When sometimes giving hard messages are the things that are needed to move people to a point where they can look in the mirror and acknowledge that they have a blind spot or or a part of themselves that they need to work on. So holding up that mirror, I think for this individual was was the key that moved them into action. Yeah. Did you learn anything yourself from this experience? Yes, actually, it makes you reflect, you know, what do I see in the mirror and uh, where are my strengths and where are my weaknesses and what areas, where do I have complete blind spots? And also it pushes you to try and seek out people that may not always give you good news, but that will give you the reality or the truth. Beautifully said. So shifting focus a little bit now. I love to quote you, by the way. So this is, this is not going to be the first time I'm going to quote you. You mentioned humor is an unappreciated, underused superpower. When we laugh with someone... We get this cocktail of hormones that strengthens our emotional bonds in a way that wouldn't otherwise be possible. Studies show it makes us more resilient, creative, and resourceful. So following up on progression and supporting other people, how do you use humor to progress life to get the best out of people? You know, my mom used to say, you can laugh or you can cry. It's your choice. Okay. And, uh, and I think that in COVID time, We've also seen a lot of dark humor. I saw a beautiful little joke yesterday with beer sitting in the fridge and there's one beer called Corona and the other beers have 
mouth guard on their uh, face, a mask. So I think it's a way to alleviate stress for people, but it's also so important to bond. And uh, yeah, I laugh a lot. I have a lot of silly jokes with my children and my family and my colleagues. Played some nasty April Fool jokes on my colleagues and I've had them repay me. I think humor is so important. Yeah, it is a secret power. I'm quite convinced. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm convinced of that as well. So moving forward, and I really love the next quote, <laughs> because you really believe in diversity in all its forms, as I mentioned before, and you really like to mentor startups and women encouraging others in their growth. So I personally love this one. You mentioned if we were raised to be polite, liked, and attractive in every sense of the word, we build the North Star of our compass outside of ourselves. For the sake of our girls, it's time to put in the work to reconnect to our own internal North Star. So I cannot mention how inspiring I think this is, but I really want to know from you, what do you mean about reconnect to our internal North Star? Because you're really talking specifically about female life. So what do you mean by the internal North Star? I think that a lot of people, maybe women a little bit more than men, are conditioned to be polite, to be attractive, to not uh, not want too much, not speak up too loudly. You know, there's a there's a long list of what good girls shouldn't be doing, which is expected by the norms of society. And I think that men or women, no matter where you grew up, we all have our own dreams and wants. If you're a girl and you want to be a fly an Apache helicopter, that might not be the first thing that society expects you to do. But if that is your dream and where you feel empowered, uh, there's nothing that says that you can't do that. But a lot of people bow down to the environmental and societal pressures to be accommodating, to be polite, and not push for their own dreams and wishes and wants. And I, I think that if you look back after such a life, you will find that you've lived someone else's life, the life that your mother or your father or society expected of you and not the life that you wanted to live. Steve Jobs gave a famous address at Stanford uh, graduation on not living someone else's life. Very inspiring talk, which I can really encourage your listeners to also look up. I think that is so important to live the life that you want to live. And they may not be the societal norms or the choices that are imposed on you by society, but find your your heart and the things that make you happy and go do them because only you can be you. Beautifully said. So in your opinion, what would be the first step? Because obviously we're talking about changing society, which starts at changing the individuals, which will lead to a society where this is going to be normal, where we reconnect to our own internal North Star. What would be the first step in this process? I think that people have to put in internal work to figure out what they want, what they're good at, what makes them happy, what they're able to give, and then have a lot of bravery because this takes courage to step out and go do it. What would you say to any girl listening now or to any parent of young girls listening to help reconnect to our internal North Star? What would be the message you would like to maybe hear yourself when you were a girl in South Africa? That if you can dream it and you are willing to put in the work and you believe that it is worth it, that you can do it. 
Wow, I even feel inspired by this <laughs> when, I, when, when I hear you say it. So what advice or tips would you give to professional working women out there who want to set up something similar to what you're doing now, maybe in their own organization, but are coming up against resistance, either from their board or the wider organization who perhaps perceive it as exclusive or even sexist? What advice or tips would you give to them? This is very tricky because I think that it's very difficult to change culture. Uh, so I would encourage people to find like-minded people. If you are the only one in the, in the wilderness, get out. Go find other people who do have the same dreams and ideals as you. That took me a long time to learn, but I think that leaving something is not necessarily weakness. It might just be acknowledgement of a reality. So find like-minded people who can support your goal, ideally men and women see if you can change something and also be the change you want to see. So take action. Take action. And sadly, as you already mentioned, the pandemic has a disproportionate effect on women and the stats on attrition of female professionals make grim reading. Why should companies care though about losing female talent? I think that good talent is scarce. In your role at Emorio Bond, I'm sure you are confronted with this every day. Everyone is looking for the same talent and hunting in a, in a small pond. And if we neglect 50% of the population because they are female, we will miss out on so much top talent. So for me, it just makes absolute business sense in the hunt for talent. There's also a lot of, there are a lot of studies that show when there is adequate female representation in a company, especially in the boardroom, that company makes more money, is more risk averse, and gives much higher returns long term for shareholders than ones who don't. They might not be the top, top performers, but in the long term, they are by far the better performers. So. I think that companies that create a good environment for men and women to work in will create a good environment for their male and female customers, consumers, and will leave a better world for their male and female children. So for me, that's not really negotiable anymore. And I think that the pandemic will also bring good things with it, because I do believe that we will go through a tipping point of what comprises work, what comprises good, what comprises happiness. And what is good for our planet in the climate crisis that we are in? We've learned that we don't all have to massively get into cars and go on, on the motorway at eight in the morning. Uh, so what else can we learn? How can we change uh, our environment and the way that we do business with each other for good in other ways? And I think technology will help us quite a lot. Yeah, and I completely agree because these are challenging times, but as you already mentioned, they also create opportunities. And we now, as humanity, have the opportunity to change the values, to, to bring in new values and to create a new basis for the future. And driving forward on, on gender balance, what has been the most effective approach you've seen a company take in driving forward gender balance? I think the most simple thing you can do is for every hire, you make sure that you have an equal male-female candidate list. And for every promotion, you ensure that the candidates that are promoted from, let's say, manager to senior manager, reflect the percentage of the underlying uh, layer. So if your managers are 50-50, the candidates that go up for promotion should be 50-50 as well. 
If you do this within less than a generation, average tenure at companies now is maybe four to eight years. So in one eight-year period, you should be able to get to a point where the balance of your company reflects the balance of your society. And it's not only male-female. There are a lot of people with a migration background uh, or who have physical limitations who really struggle to enter employment as well. So just to be clear that I think diversity is a lot wider. And in many countries, people who are gay or uh, otherwise non-standards, cis, uh, are discriminated as well. Picking up the diversity and inclusion uh, part, the awareness is growing and growing within the corporate world and outside. We can all agree that it's not just a tick-in-the-box thing, but it really should be incorporated in the DNA and in the culture and in the values of the business. How are you currently doing that as a CIO or or in in all the non-executive roles that you have? The diversity and inclusion is highly on the agenda. I always ask for the statistics on gender balance at all levels in the organization. Very often that is self-revealing. You could see the women falling off a cliff at a certain grade in the company. I ask for details on the pay gap. So looking at how men and women are paid, which is very often still very different. So these are things that I think you can do in a senior uh, level role. But I think we can all help by ensuring we encourage more women in their studies and in their growth and in their ambitions. And also making sure that they get hired. And I think that this pandemic will bring us more flexibility in terms of work as well, which I hope will be more beneficial for women in the workplace as well. And how do you think that, because you already mentioned technology is really going to play a big part in this, how do you think technology is going to play a part in this? Well, you and I are doing a podcast, which I think six months ago you would have asked me to come visit you somewhere in Amsterdam. And we're doing this remotely from three different locations today. So this is a simple example. But if you also look at, you know, Microsoft Teams just brought out a new function where you can see everyone in a gallery sitting next to each other. And these kinds of technologies, so Zoom or or Teams right now, puts people in opposing positions. So you look at the other person, straight at the other person, which in fact is quite an aggressive way to meet someone, to sit at opposite ends of a table. If you're trying to cooperate, in real life, I would go sit next to someone if I want to cooperate with them. And I think that uh, we will see more immersive technologies becoming more mainstream, more of the, the uh, some of the technologies that you see in immersive gaming, uh, that you would put a headset on and, and stand next to someone in a room uh, instead of seeing them opposite to you on a screen. And those technologies are reality today, but they are applied in gaming and not in conference calls today and they will become affordable and become ubiquitous as well. I think that the need for travel, international travel in particular, will completely change. Yeah, just some of the things I'm thinking of, also biohacking, aging, you know, this pandemic has brought us a lot of studies on on CRISPR technologies and biohacking and vaccinations and it may create new opportunities for health and well-being that we maybe didn't thought of before. Yeah, because I personally didn't know about lab-grown shrimps. I, I love shrimps, but I didn't know about lab-grown shrimps. So I'm, I'm going to quote you again because I love to do it. <laughs> lab-grown shrimp might be the first to hit the shelves. 
it will be a game changer for a hungry world battling the climate crisis. So in your view, what is the role of technology in terms of climate change, world hunger? What is the role of technology in that part? So if we look at the big polluters on our planet, agriculture is a, is a very big polluter and transport. So we've addressed transport, right? So if transport gets replaced for a large part through virtual technologies, that will make a huge difference. And I think uh, in terms of hunger and food, uh, we will start to see, as we see in Paris, for instance, that the companies are starting to grow vegetables and mushrooms and consumable leafy greens underground, so in discarded metro tunnels in, in Paris and in London. And these are small-scale farming, underground farms right now. But with climate change in uh, some parts of the world, like the Middle East, where day temperatures get up to 45, 48 degrees, we will see a lot of more of the world potentially becoming deserts. And we will have to look at different ways of farming and different ways of using our land. So rooftop farming, vertical farming, underground farming. Uh, and I think that also lab-grown meat will fall in this row. So right now, there are companies that do lab-grown hamburgers and lab-grown shrimps. The burgers apparently taste very nice, but they're still really expensive. Uh, but as these technologies become more efficient, they will become affordable. Uh, and we've seen how the oceans are being pillaged for shrimps and, and other shellfish. And if imagine you can have a 3D printer at home, Arsalan, and you can print some shrimps for dinner. Wow. With the same <laughs> nutrition power, right? So if I think of some of the technologies that we use today, my mom is not that old, but she's in her 70s. And she just says, wow, I can't fathom this, that you can do you know, whatever it is that you're doing, self-driving car or calling her on, on, on Zoom or WhatsApp. These are things that she almost couldn't imagine as a child. And what we've seen is that the pace of change is accelerating. So I'm really hopeful for our future. I, what I hope is that technology will help us all to do good and that we can combine technology and people to do the right things because there is no plan B, there's no planet B to quote uh, Kofi Annan, we only have this one planet and we have to leave it in a fit state for our children. I completely agree. So in your current role at EVBox, uh, where the mission is to, to have a zero emission world, what is EVBox currently doing to progress climate change? EVBox uh, does electrical vehicle uh, charging solutions. Uh, so we provide the hardware and also some of the technology across that to manage the hardware, to get to predictive maintenance, to it's quite complex technology in terms of load balancing and other technologies that are needed to create an efficient charging infrastructure. We are uh, the market leader for that in Europe right now. Uh, and even this market is changing radically fast as more solar and wind and other types of uh, power sources come into play and also as the battery technology in vehicles keep adapting and evolving. We're seeing Volkswagen uh, launching their small battery-driven car, which will be kind of like the uh, battery-powered Polo electric vehicle. So for many households, this will be their a, a second vehicle and will be their entry point into electric driving. And if they have a good experience with that and they realize that it's easy to charge and cheap to maintain, uh, maybe they will take the step for the second main family vehicle to go electric. I feel really connected to the purpose of EVBox 
uh, and helping create a greener environment because driving on carbon fuels is not really an option anymore. All right. So you've really shared some fantastic insights already. And before we close, I'll finish on this last question. We've discussed technology. We've discussed progressing lives for women. We've discussed your own progression story, which is really inspiring. And I'd love to talk to you more about that. So what's the most significant lesson you've learned or piece of advice that you would give to someone that might yeah, help someone progress a goal, ambition, or area of their life? I think maybe there are three things. I think I've touched on all of them, but I will recap them shortly because I think that there's no such thing as balance. So do the things that you're good at and make them count. Uh, secondly, use your heart and use your head. And thirdly, give something back because you are privileged. Beautifully said. Madeline, one last question before before we go. I'm really interested in this because when you're not working, you can usually be found reading or singing. How did you get into the singing part, actually? You know, if you grow up in Africa, Arsalan, everyone sings. But I have a special story because I sang in the South African National Choir. And it was the first Rainbow Nation Choir, the Libertas Choir or the Freedom Choir. And it was formed around the time when uh, Nelson Mandela was set free and at the time of political transition. And this choir really was the Rainbow Nation. We had young and old, black and white and Indian and Chinese in our choir. And I had the privilege to sing for Nelson Mandela and to sing at the opening of the World Economic Forum in Davos. So for me, a great joy and pleasure. And when I moved to Amsterdam from London, uh, I thought, how will I meet people? I work with mostly men. How will I meet some women? And I thought, you know, I'm going to look for a choir. I didn't speak Dutch at that point. So I found a small pop choir, a vocal group of women who sang in English, sang pop songs. And I joined them uh, and they became like my sisterhood. And 12 years on, I still sing with some of the original members of that group every Thursday night. Uh, not pop songs anymore. We sing close harmony and a mix of languages, but such fun and inspiration in my life. So for me, singing is my yoga. It's the place I go to relax and also something that you can only do with other people. And no matter how depressed or blue or tired you are, after an hour of singing, you just have to smile and fly away. Wow. Madeline, I have so much more I'd love to talk to you about. Sadly, we are... We are out of time, but thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Madeline. It was my pleasure. Thanks for your time. Thank you for your time, Madeline. Thank you for listening to Progressing Lives Everywhere, brought to you by Moria Bond. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others find the podcast. For more information on Amoria Bond's specialist services and to access the podcast show notes, head over to amoriabond.com. Join us next time as we continue to progress lives everywhere.